0: you guys ready let's go let's go
1: <laughs> no no that's bad i can't do the same thing
0: <laughs> hello this is the brothers trilogy a podcast where three brothers get together to discuss trilogies three individual stories that taken together form parts of a larger saga join us on our odyssey as we uncover the good, the bad, and the downright weird. Yes, I'm looking at you, Spider-Man 3. In this episode, and for a few more, we're going to be discussing the Infernal Affairs trilogy. I'm your host, and I go by ToBro. I'm joined by Bhaya, a man who's read more comics than I can count. And not to show up for anything, but I can count up to at least three digits. Uh, Bhaya is also the most experienced member of our podcasting trio and our elder brother. Bhaya, how are you doing?
2: The most experienced member. That's a really nice way of just saying, I'm old. Thank you. Uh,
0: and of course, no trilogy is complete without the third and final edition, which is in this case, our uh, younger brother, Rai. Rai, uh, unfortunately, comes with no previous podcasting experience, but he is the only one of us who has hiked up to Machu Picchu. That's not really relevant to this, but I thought I'd need to say something nice about Rai as I introduce him. So Rai, welcome.
1: Thanks, and you know, often you run out of ideas by the third film, so you just take them onto a new location, so I see that's why you went for the Machu Picchu. <laughs> of
0: course, uh, and we should mention of course that you're, you're the musical maestro behind our uh, intro music and our editor-in-chief, and uh, Rai, given that we're relying on you to take our uh, ramblings and putting them together into something half-coherent, uh, are you already regretting putting yourself up for that job, or has that not sunk in yet?
1: Um, I'm currently looking at uh, potential outsourcing options, actually.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. All right. So that's the introductions done. Uh, three Brothers Trilogies. That's all you need to know. Um, for those of you who are keeping track, I do have one more dollars trilogy reference to Awkwardly Wedge In. So let me just finish the introduction by saying that we won't be spoiling any of the other uh, films in the trilogy, but uh, do expect a fistful of spoilers, at least in re- in reference to the first Infernal Affairs film for this podcast. Uh, At that point, right, cue the transition music. And if you don't have transition music, let's pretend I didn't say anything and transition anyways. Infernal Affairs. uh, Let's start with a few basic details. The Chinese title means The Non-Stop Way a reference to Avici, the lowest level of hell in Buddhism. And yes, I am just reading off of Wikipedia, if you're also on that page right now. Um, it's a 2002 Hong Kong crime thriller, directed by uh, Andrew Lau and Alan Mack, and written by Alan Mack as well as Felix Chong, uh, starring Andy Lau and Tony Lang Chu Wai in the lead roles. Um, yeah, I think um, personally, I'm not uh, very familiar with the director's or the uh, writer's work, uh, but um, Tony Lang, um I think, I, yeah, I, I mean, i consider myself a fan of, of Tony, um, especially because of uh, the films he's done with Wong Kar Wai, Ashes of Time, Chunking Express, In the Mood for Love, we were talking about the other day, I had a poster of that yeah. one, and 2046. Other films he's done, you guys might be aware of, include Hero, uh, the Jet Li film, uh, directed by Zhang Yimou; uh, Hard Boiled, uh, directed by John Woo; and Last Caution by Ang Lee. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, one other thing about Andy Lau, uh, Tony Lang, Sorry, we're talking about uh, which Paya um, might be interested, uh, or he probably knows this already. Is that he's cast as the Mandarin in the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe and will appear in Shang Chi and the Legend. Of the Ten Rings next year.
2: I was not aware of that. That is absolutely epic casting. I was already excited for that film, but now I'm way, way,
0: way more excited. Exciting news! Thank you to FRO. And the other star is Andy Lau. A little bit, um, I'm a little bit less familiar with him, but uh, he was in House of Flying Daggers. uh, Again, directed by Zhang Yimou. Um, They're both superstars. Andy Lau's got a, a big singing career. Uh, quick fact about Andy Lau: He's listed in the Guinness World Book of Records for, get this, uh, most awards won by a cantopop male artist. So when we say he's a, he's a singer, he, you know, that's this is uh, serious.
1: Um, Tony Lang and Andy Lau. I was Lau. actually I was actually uh, listening in at work today, listening to Andy Lau on Spotify. Yeah.
2: Um, <laughs> was that just in prep for that, this, or are you a long-term Andy Lau music fan?
1: No, no, it was in prep for this. And actually, he's got a lovely voice. I'd very much recommend it. Yeah. I've not, I've so, heard...
2: Jackie Chan has this huge opera career that we're not aware of in the West as well, doesn't he? So, I wonder how many sort of huge music stars we're missing out on because we only watch them kick ass on screen.
0: No, I think that's right, and I and a personal favorite is the uh, Jackie Chan's uh, uh, song he did for Mulan. I think it, everyone should check that out. It, it's, it's 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 quite powerful. That um, is absolutely badass. Yeah, great video yeah. on
2: YouTube for it as well.
0: <laughs> uh, Tony Lang and Andy Lau stars. I mean, yeah, I think I think they're they're up there uh, for me. And uh, uh, how do you guys feel?
2: I think yeah, you did a nice little run through of, of the kind of more well known films and absolutely, uh, really exciting actors. Um, I think I wasn't really aware of them before this film. So off, so when I saw the, um, uh, Andy in um, House of Flying Daggers, in in Hero, uh, Tony in Hero, it wasn't. It was kind of going backwards. They like, oh my God, it's the Infernal Affairs guys. Uh, so this to me is is the first film that I know either of them from. Uh, but they've played these roles sort of so, so strongly and say in my mind so strongly that I think they'll forever be the infernal affairs guys uh, and actually when i and this is terrible and, and this is not a comment on their acting this is a comment on how obsessed I am with them in this film when I see them in other roles, I think I still implant a little bit of their personalities from this film in other roles uh mm. just because it's so kind of you know uh, solid for me i I don't really think that you know they're actually. Actually, a a cop and a a criminal undercover, (laughs) just to be clear, but not far off.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh,
1: Rai, you fans of these guys? Well, to be honest, I wouldn't, if you hadn't told me that he was in House of Flying Daggers, I wouldn't have known. Um, I don't watch a lot of cinema from this part of the world, so I don't really know the actors. To be honest, I know Tony Lung because you had a poster of Tony Lung in your room. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the reason it's Andy Lang and I know Andy Lau from the DVD cover of this movie.:
0: <laughs> Yeah, so let's uh let's talk about the DVD actually, so I, I, was, I was curious about that uh, DVD because, um, well, I mean, I think we've all j- probably watched this film initially on that one DVD that I had of it. Um, did did and... we all watch it together first time? I, I recall watching
2: it in your room. Did we all, Is that our first experience? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know that. Um, oh, this, this is where I come off as older and I remember all this <laughs> stuff. And you
0: guys are like, uh, yeah, but yeah, I was too. Yeah. It, you know, it was a big day in your life for us. It was Tuesday. So sorry, man. <laughs> but um, hey. hey, look, I did some research. I did some research going, going all the way back. And uh, back. I mean, back into my history of Amazon purchases so I found out that I, I ordered this on Amazon in November 2004. So, so have a think about where, bro, bro, where you bro, bro, were. Bro.
1: imagine if instead of buying this DVD for £5, <laughs> you invested £5 in Amazon stock. <laughs> buy a house today.
2: <laughs> We'd be making our own movie instead of a podcast. Right yeah, right, exactly. <laughs>
0: Um, yeah, and I mean that's what, one of the great regrets. And uh, right, this was also this was also 2004, and the DVD cost me, and I can still check this. It's 13.99, which, was, which was a bargain <laughs> for those days when I used to pay 20 quid easy for a DVD.
2: But. There's, there's, a, there's a story about uh, Matt Damon was off, was asked to star in Avatar, uh, uh, and he was going to be given a cut of the profits of the film. Um so when he uh told told his mates this, um it was uh Jim from the office whose name suddenly escapes me, Emily Blunt's husband. Uh, John, John Krasinski. John He was telling John Krasinski this, and then John freaked out, had to stop, walk around for a bit, calm down, and he said, You know what, if you had taken up that job, I mean everything would be the same, we'd still be having the same conversation, but we'd be doing it in space.
1: That's
0: yeah. <money>. The choices we make. Um, that that DVD cover, and I I, I just WhatsApp you guys that earlier, and, and then maybe we can put it up on, on social media or something later on, but. Um I think I think there's two stories I have for that, and I think I just want to do one thing is that Rai. I don't know if you remember, but you could never remember which one was Tony Lung or Andy yeah, Lau. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that. And
1: uh,
0: uh, do you remember how we came up with uh, <laughs> for you to yeah, remember? Yeah, the rhyme:
1: Tony Lung holds the gun.
0: That's <laughs> right. So, so I mean, let me describe it. So basically, it's a it's a picture of Tony Lung holding a gun up to Andy Lau, and and that's how he's just used to remember it. That Tony Lung uh, holds the gun. Um, Go on, the other, how, other... how old were you in two thousand for
2: the two thousand four?
1: Yeah, I was I was eleven.
2: Right, we probably shouldn't have shown you that film back
0: then. <laughs> 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 yeah, let's just gloss over that for now. Um, <laughs> yeah, the, the other the other um, story I have of that cover is that um, so I had this uh, mate, you know, I didn't get his permission, so let's just call him. Uh, Logan, Logan, but not his real name. Uh, so Logan, you know, used to stay over uh, at ours sometimes, and, and you know, he was looking at the cover of the uh, DVD, and you know, the way it's set up, it says Andy Lau at the top, and then under his name, it's got a brackets, uh, you know, to refer to another film that he's been in, and it just basically says Full Time Killer, and then it says Tony Leung, and he's been in the film uh, by John Woo called Hard Boiled, so it just says Hard Boiled, and then Shola comes and he says. Uh, oh, I love how they describe these guys, man. Hard-boiled, full-time killer, like like they were yeah. like descriptions of the actors themselves.
2: <laughs> I love that there's a bit of an implication there that um, Andy Lau is actually like some kind
1: of killer, like they hide an assassin track in well, then... this film. Yeah. <laughs> well, at least, at least he wasn't thinking. How do you how do you cook an egg uh, fully killed? <laughs> yeah. Um, cool.
0: <laughs> Finishing off with the, I had a couple more uh, details about the film, um, and then we can get into a brief synopsis. Um, it won the best film at the Hong Kong Film Awards, beating Zhang Yimou's Hero, which also had Tony Leung in it. So, Whoa. Look at that. yeah, what a, what a year for um, films, Hong Kong, film, you know, Chinese. Yeah, film. and
1: I'd say Hero probably had a bigger impact on the West. Mm. So, so
2: Hero like... wouldn't have made it to the West in 2004. It, it was it. Um... Um, uh, Tarantino that brought it over.
0: Yes, yes. I think in terms of release, it came over a little bit later. So 2002 is when the films come out in uh, Hong Kong. Uh, I don't know when uh, it comes over to the West. Um,
2: but no, that's really interesting context actually, because here obviously feels very timeless. Um, but yeah, when you line these mm. up, you think about the the era of mm. the film. yep
0: The um, other thing is uh, everybody probably knows about this is that it's been remade in was remade in 2006 by Martin Scorsese as The Uh, Departed. Departed, man. Sorry, (laughs) that's just Departed is is set in Boston, and and
1: that's our attempt at uh, Boston accents. And uh, in in tribute to the original, uh, Scorsese ensured that everyone needed subtitles for The Departed, also. The three um, guys
2: from South London making fun of the Boston accent. This is gonna go down well, guys. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh. <laughs> the um and Departed, of course, went on to win the Academy Award for Best Picture. So, um, well done to Martin for adapting it in a in an in 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 interesting way. Right. Uh, so, for people who have uh, no idea what we're talking about, like I said, there's gonna be spoilers, and uh, they probably start about now as I as we sort of try and. Talk a little bit about what the synopsis is, what the basic storyline is. Um, right, I mean it's it's a little bit. Different. <laughs> Do either of you have a have a have a want to have a crack at explaining what this film is about?
2: So there's a bad guy who mm-hmm. pretends to be a good guy whilst working for a bad guy, but actually working for a good guy. <laughs> there's a good guy. <laughs> uh, I was I, I rewatched this at at your request for for the podcast the other day with my wife. And um, so she had no concept, just like Rai, Tony Lung and Andy Lau. So we couldn't refer to them as Tony Lung and Andy Lau during the film. We both forgot the characters' names, so we couldn't refer to them that way either. So they kept trying to say, oh yeah, the the cop, no, the villain, no, the the goody, the baddie. But because of the layers of the film, that made no sense either. So it just ended up being him. Mm -hmm. No, 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 him. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Right, so no, but I'll I'll, I'll take a crack at it, sure. sure. So you've got a... um, You've got a crime boss and you've got a police chief. Uh, Each of those takes on some young kids. Uh, The police chief picks one of his best recruits to go undercover and join crime gangs. The the crime boss uh, takes a whole bunch of recruits, sends them over to join the police, to essentially be undercover in the police. And now you follow the stories of one of the guys infiltrating the crime gang, one of the guys infiltrating the the police uh, and of course they happen to be working for each other's boss uh, or you know pretending to work for each other's boss uh, and you see how it all unfolds it, I've probably made it sound a little bit more complicated than it is or maybe even simpler than it is <laughs> actually but it's, it is clear and easy to follow uh, despite it despite me making a meal out of it
0: no, I think I think that's right. So there's a there's a uh, police department uh, that has essentially there's you know there's an there's a mole there that's working for the crime organization, and at the same time there's a crime organization that has an undercover cop in their organization. So that you know there's a mole in in each organization, and they're trying to the film I guess is about trying to uncover who the mole is uh, and trying to do that before your own mole is discovered.
1: Yeah, and I think I think an important feature of it is also that the boss of the mole, only the boss knows who the mole is on each other's side. And there's that amazing scene where they're all sat around that table and they're both just like playing this game of verbal chess when they both know that each other knows who in their team works for the other person.
2: Yeah, that's that's a really powerful scene. So, um, yeah, you've got them across the table from each other, but you've also got... A bunch of their staff on each side. So behind the um, behind the police inspector, police chief, are a bunch of his officers. Behind the crime boss are a bunch of his low, lower-level thugs, and they know someone behind me is going to stab me in the back and works for you, and you know the same way. and And you can just see them kind of eyeing up each other's body language. Uh, you know, do you glance at your man? Do you not? Uh, whilst making sure you don't do the same thing yourself. It's this. Yeah, as you say, it's this ultimate game of chess, of poker, of of bluffing. And I I suppose we didn't mention the names of the two actors of the two sort of uh, police chiefs Uh, in the in in the Western remake. um, They obviously picked um, uh, famous actors, um, uh, Martin, Martin Jack Nicholson, Jack Nicholson, and is it Martin Sheen? Not Martin Sheen. Um, Forgotten now. Who is the police chief?
0: Yeah, I'm going to say Martin Sheen as well. I'm not, but I'm not sure. Yeah maybe we'll get to I'm that looking
1: something up on the internet yeah
2: but i mean you know well-known actors where you where yeah. you're going well-known obviously we don't seem to know but well-known yeah. enough that that's what you go by uh, but these actors as it turns out were are very famous uh hong kong cinema actors as well so for the mm-hmm. hong kong audience um these would would have been big historical names Uh, on screen and I imagine it's it's a little bit like watching Martin Sheen and Jack Nicholson play off each other or you know that scene in Heat with uh, De Niro and Pacino playing off each other Um, it was very intense very powerful and two kind of heavyweights of cinema uh, who can pull that off with each other.
1: I kind of think if we just talk about that scene a little bit because that is the crux of the film in my mind Until like if you're you're those you're the boss there normally what you want to do is sort of show like my my team we're bigger and fatter and stronger than you but these guys have to almost they have to admit to each other that actually that i know there's someone there standing behind me that's trying to stab me in the back right now mm. it's actually like a very very odd thing that they have to like posi- one way they have to position themselves but the power of that scene it just all like just carries through really well and there's such little dialogue in that scene actually And it just all comes through, like, the body language of the acting.
2: I think one of my favourite parts of that is how the crime boss starts out. So from the very beginning, I'm putting on a show. So he's got all of this kind of takeaway food all, all like, laid out in front of him. Mm -hmm. And he's making a big deal, kind of eating it really messily. And he's clearly, like, he's playing a role. He's eating it the way Rai eats a meal, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, And, you know, this is a game and this is what I'm showing. Um, and then, as you get towards the end of that scene, um they both start to lose their cool a little bit, and they both have like little slips i think as as they get further on um and then uh again, the crime boss clearly goes back into acting where he just chucks everything off the table and there you 're sort of wondering, hang on, are you is that now a bluff or are you have you genuinely lost your cool, or have you done that and then transitioned it into a into another play um, It is something like very very, very layered, I think.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's interesting about the crime boss eating as well. I think it's just a sort of a universal language of, of cinema. You know, the more badass you are, you just eat at these meetings. Um, I'm just thinking of like, you know, Goodfellas and sort of all sort of this idea that, oh, I'm just so big, I'm just going to have a meeting and I'm just going to eat my lunch at the same time
1: and you have to kind of watch me. I've actually ta- I've taken that onto my career. And I often bring my sandwiches into it. Yeah. <laughs> just, to, just to show the boss. Uh, Get someone to yeah. come in and shave you while you're doing a meeting. <laughs> Well, it's interesting. Um, I mean, now
2: now with you know all meetings being, being virtual, um, I always mm. have a, a cup of coffee with me because basically I live with a coffee in one hand while I'm working. Um, yeah. And actually in sort of more senior meetings or sort of high stakeholder meetings where I wouldn't walk in with a steaming cup of coffee, <laughs> that's part of my dynamic now. And I wonder if it does start to feel like a bit of a power move who's drinking
0: coffee and who's not. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, we're all in uh, lockdown and we're working from home and um... I'm definitely much more informal uh, with my dress and sort of, yeah, things like that. Is
2: that your way of saying you're not wearing pants when you do meetings? Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely.
0: Um, the other thing about that scene I think that's interesting is that you have the two bosses in the same room, but you also have the two uh, moles in the same room, the two big stars. Um, mm. and, and not only that, they've actually already met before that scene uh, in, in kind of the first major scene uh, of the film, they meet in this sort of um, uh, shop uh, where one is selling the other some, some sort of uh, speakers or something like that. It it, remi- it reminded me of Heat, uh, where Pacino and De Niro meet, but it's kind of the ante of Heat, if you know what I mean, because in Heat, you know, they make you wait. Cold. Yeah. 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 They're just sort of waiting, and you're waiting and waiting till I, I guess it's quite near the end where Pacino and De Niro finally meet. Mm-hmm. And here we have the sort of, you know, the tension is, I mean, they meet right away, and they meet again, you know, but they don't speak at the, at the big meeting. But then at the same time, I want to say, you know, it doesn't take anything away from it. You know, when the, because they never meet each other as their true personalities. They're both kind of playing, uh, you know, per- games at, 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 at these earlier meetings.
1: Yeah. But dude, I think that's like, I think if this, if there was a less sort of confident storytelling, mm-hmm. you would want to pull out the thread of, You're there's someone on their team that they don't know about that are working for the other person. That would be the main sort of chunk of your arc. Mm -hmm. And like, you know, like most TV shows, most undercover cop films, all these things, that's the main chunk. But they're such confident storytellers. They're like, Mm -hmm. no, this is a small piece. We can give them that straight away. It's about what comes after that. Mm -hmm. And in my head, the whole film was actually like this sort of, like, oh, um, they don't know that they're working for the other person. But it's the fact they know straight away and they're Mm -hmm. so confident they can just carry the story even with that
2: i mean i think straight out i'll i'll, I'll just put this out there i much prefer this film to heat um mm-hmm. you know heat, heat's a good film it's, it's maybe it's a great film but it it doesn't have anything compared to, for me anyway that the tension that this this film provided um he also doesn't fully give you that payoff. at least for me i didn't necessarily get that full payoff you know the way it's filmed over one another's shoulders and and you don't mm-hmm. really get to see them both on screen at the same time interacting now that first scene where they meet in the in the uh in the electronic shop where they're selling the 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 thing you know that feel of just being two ordinary guys them kind of slouching and their body language and just getting on you know um because they're not anything at that point he's not being a cop he's just a dude buying a buying some speakers and he's he's not the criminal he's just a dude selling some speakers yeah Um, you know so you're you're now uh a uh, a, a cop pretending to be a criminal, pretending to be a guy in a shop selling speakers. Right? Uh, you know, I'm just a dude playing a dude, uh, <laughs> dressed as another dude. whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. It, yeah, it definitely thunder, strengthens yeah. the later scene. Tropic Thunder. Yeah. But so you know, that's when when you do have their meeting in that in that uh, police cell scene, in that interrogation room scene that is able to be about the bosses without you having to stare at the main two so much. There's something just beautiful about how the attention is shared, you know, uh, across the different levels of this conversation um, and how your eye is drawn to, and I guess drawn by the storytellers, by the director, to hairs where you need to focus now and now and now. There seems to be a real... Good sort of interweaving, I think, of the directorial style and the storytelling itself. It complements so well.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: No, I, oh, I, I think yeah. that's right. And um, Heat you know, he had that one scene which I also quite like, where I guess I guess Robert De Niro is uh, suddenly realizes that he's being surveilled by Al Pacino, and he looks straight into the barrel of the camera that's shoot, and then Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are kind of looking at each other through this camera. Or they're not. Mm. They haven't actually met, so uh, so that kind of tension uh, they were able to create because uh, the, the characters hadn't met. But what I guess what I'm saying is even in this film, because the, even they had met, there was still that tension. So there was that scene where Andy Lau is chasing, Tony, uh, sorry, Tony Lang is uh, trailing Andy Lau out of the cinema, and then his phone goes off, right? And there, you feel that tension of whether Andy's just going to switch around and say, "Oh, you know." Yeah. Um, I just love how they how they kept that throughout, uh, even though these guys also happened to meet uh, a couple of times already.
2: I mean, so I guess one one more thing I'll, I'll just say with the comparison with Heat, and this applies to us, I guess, as a Western audience watching this film. Uh, when we would have watched Heat, we were all we we're already primed to be, to be desperate to see the two titans face off against oh. each other. It's oh. a big deal, right? when we went into watching this film, they're just two actors, they're just two people we don't know. Two people we can't remember one's name compared to the other. You know, Andy Lung holds the gun, right? (laughs) And it still worked. And maybe Heat would too. You know, I wonder if if you were to take that to a Hong Kong audience, they'd feel that passion or or they wouldn't, you know. Uh, But certainly this does, and that's another credit to this film. Yeah. Um,
0: Beyond the uh, sort of opening, I mean, I think Rai trusted a little bit on this already, but but the you know the efficiency of the of the storytelling. I mean, it was it, it was sort of something that um, I think films like The Heat or also I mean The Departed. They're, they're much longer. Uh, they take a much longer time to tell these stories, and there's a lot of extra stuff. Um, I'm thinking Val Kilmer, um, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean it's, it, that's that, that's something you mentioned earlier that that you quite appreciated about this film, the sort of efficiency of it.
1: Yeah, I just really thought that, like, I was just so surprised that, like, five minutes into the film, I'd already absorbed, so it, within five minutes of the film, you see them growing up in their opposite sides, then you see them training to be cops together, then you see one of the one of them being taken away to be, be undercover, then you see the other one rise up the ranks. All of this happens within five minutes of a film, and within, like, The Departed, it takes about half an hour to get there. <laughs> And it's just so efficient the storytelling and it's like just through very simple like things like montages and uh, flashbacks they just manage to tell us such a very complex deep story uh, very effectively and without i guess the key is telling it without taking away from the richness of the story
2: i mean that that's a good thing to touch on as well actually right just you know the flashbacks and the montages and the close-ups and the fade-ins and the freeze frames it feels like it uses pretty much every cinema trick in the book right it kind of goes through the whole you know language of cinema all, all the different techniques mm-hmm. but it doesn't feel contrived it's not like when you're watching an old old wedding video and it's another star wipe or whatever you know someone using every every uh, transition on the powerpoint um it uses them really naturally i get, it, it feels like it's made by someone who's very very cine literate or made by people who are very very cine literate
0: yeah yeah i think that's a good point um yeah makes sense
1: One, one thing I actually want to talk about, Tobro, is um, we touched on the scene earlier, and there's another scene that comes up later, but it's the music, and there's a particular song that plays by an artist called Side Chin, called Forgotten Times, mm-hmm. and I think it's like it's quite an important uh, part of the film. The rest of the soundtrack doesn't, didn't really stay with me, but this song did sort of stay with me, and I never heard of the artist before, but they kind of play an acapella of one of her songs, and I've looked at the song and apparently it's a bit of like a bit of a classic. Um, Mm -hmm. So Sai Chin was a big sort of star in the seventies or eighties in uh, Hong Kong and China and Taiwan. She's actually from Taiwan. Um, Bit like a country type star. And like, I feel like her voice, it was just, it felt to me like, like a mother singing to the child. And I just thought like both those men are sat in those chairs, listening to the voice of, like, this woman a cappella singing. Like, it's like, I felt like they're both drawn to that because that's how they, that's them being able to link to their childhood. They would have grown up in the 80s with that song played in their house. Maybe their mum singing that song. So I feel like that's something they're trying to hold on to when they've got these new identities, like those forgotten times of when they were a child. And that song actually comes back later in the film as well. Mm-hmm. um so i just really like that and that song i've been i've put it onto my like spotify playlists and stuff and i've been listening to it it's just a great song yeah i th-
0: i think it's it's hard to come out of infernal affairs and not know what you're talking about because it, it is it just does stick out so much and it is quite powerful I, I know exactly what you're talking about you know the initial scene when they're in the rec- uh, shop and then later on when they play it again it, it's you know even as 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 we are you know non-native or uh, don't speak Chinese at all. I was going to say non-native speakers, but we don't speak Chinese. Um, you know, we understand, I think, uh, that Song 6 sticks out, and and yeah, I think it's powerful. Um, yeah, one other thing I wanted to sort of put out there is uh, the twists in this uh, story. I think, um, you know, there, there's, there are twists in movies that, you, you know, you sort of see coming a, a mile away. Um, I think the sort of latter half of this movie... It takes you by surprise, and you know I, I wrote down a few here. Um, firstly, I think you know when Andy Lau finally betrays his crime, uh, the the boss, the, uh, Sam. Um, I I don't think you you can see that coming necessarily. Um, then the sort of right at the end when Andy is saved by the the second mole in the in the uh, police force. Mm, yeah, you don't see yeah, that yeah. guy coming. It's very subtle. Um, Andy killing the second mole at that point, again, it's like a shocker. Um, and then just Andy Lau being the last man standing in this standoff. Uh, if you had to place bets at the start of the movie, you'd say the good guys always win. Um, I I just think you know that you can't see you can't see that uh, last act uh, coming. It's just very very no. Surprising. And
1: and the other thing I, the other thing I'd actually throw into that bro mm. is just um when the when the cop boss falls on top of that car that's such mm. a like a moment where you're just so absolutely broken and you just see like uh tony lung's life just collapses in that one second and it's just out of nowhere mm.
0: yeah yeah though that, though that one I, I will say i kind of saw coming because you know when they set it up as only two of us know your true identity, and then one of them dies pretty much right away, and then you're kind of left like thinking, yeah, the other guy is probably going to die as well, but but the, but the scene has power, I think, when, when he sees that happening, and he says, ah, yeah, there's no more backup uh, to, to someone that knows his identity. Um, though, though on that point, I think, and this is probably just a, a style issue, but I think that it, that scene was kind of pushed a little bit in, in, in dramatic terms. There was suddenly, you know, this dramatic music that flushes in and then you see uh, Tony, you know, having these flashbacks, which, which in our time is, is I guess, just, you know, just 15 minutes ago in the movie that we just saw these and he's just sort of thinking back about a, a laugh he shared with, uh, with the uh, yeah. Yeah. police chief. Um, you know, there, there's no subtlety is what I mean. It's, it's full on in your face that this character is sad.
2: It also it didn't need to be a flashback to a scene that we have already seen. It could have been to his, yeah. you know, his time in trading and his time showing up or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, that watch giving the watch scene at the beginning was a little bit awkward, and I feel like it was placed in there so you could flash back to it. Um, but yeah, yeah, you're right. It was unnecessary to get that twice. Um, and maybe this is going back on that thing I said about trying to use every every cinema trick in the book, and they wanted to use a flashback. <laughs> Yeah. I wonder if there's some kind of cinema bingo that's being played while they made this film. Yeah, uh,
0: I mean, yeah, I, I, I do see this kind of stuff in, in the sort of the films John Woo makes or, or used, used to make in, in Hong Kong, um, where I think the sad parts are made really sad and no subtlety at all. So maybe it's, it's sort of style of Hong Kong action cinema that they're they're sort of following there
1: yeah it, it sort of jars with how smooth the rest of the storytelling is actually i didn't really think of it at the time but now you're saying it like mm. it's like everything else like the sleuth aspect is so smooth but this one thing is very much like in your face like a soap opera like EastEnders.
0: yeah um and and you know going on from there the one other thing i think i found unconvincing uh in the film is tony's relationship with the therapist um oh you know... man that's yeah. awful
2: awful <laughs>
1: She did, man. I mean, I guess, you know, who's I... paying for that therapy?
2: Okay, I think there's something around both the female characters actually in this, right? Because I mean, they, they, they don't pass. Obviously, they don't come anywhere close to passing the bachelor test, and you know they are there entirely to support the, the the main male characters. But they're so undeveloped, they're so underutilized. They bring such little to the story that that's something that could have easily have been snipped. I think in both cases. Uh, and and then going back and learning about the film and learning actually you got some a couple of mega act actresses in for this um, both both of whom I think are big singers as well so quite a big musical talent in this film um, so you got again big names in for these kind of nothing roles that didn't add much to the story didn't add much to anything you know
0: yeah I think the, I mean I mean we just didn't see the relationship develop and and it's not something I want to see in the movie like this so I'm kind of happy that maybe they didn't have all these sort of romantic developments uh, before that, but that's one thing. It, it was sort of unconvincing. And the other thing is obviously, you know, you know, it's, it's, it's the major sort of sin in, in, in providing therapy or psychological support is, is, you know, falling in love <laughs> with your patient and, and admitting it to them. So I, I can imagine therapists up and down the country say that is just, you know, such, you know, <laughs> so yeah. far from what I, I, would, is. I,
1: I would say to ter- that relationship, down the pan but i will say the other relationship and andy loud's relationship i kind of the relationship on c on screen seems like kind of like empty it's like a vacuum and i kind of feel like that character would have that kind of relationship i kind of bought that in there as well i didn't buy the whole thing that she's kind of writing a story about him and all that stuff but i kind of appreciated that it's something like a sort of empty relationship and, like, their flat was, like, really empty. Yeah. And it just felt like that would be the life you'd lead, right?
2: That certainly... I feel like the flat was a really good representation of that, right? So the apart, his apartment being this kind of cookie-cutter thing where he was just filling it with tat yeah. that he kept buying. Uh, you know, a bit like sort of Ed Norton's character in um, in Fight Club being obsessed with the IKEA catalogue and, you know, the, the must-have without any mm. of it kind of having any meaning or whatever. Um, so it was part of fulfilling that role and, and trying to be someone uh, rather than actually being someone. Uh, but again, no, I just I, I feel like the girlfriend didn't be, bring an awful lot to it. You're right, that was an interesting thread they could have pulled on, the whole thing about um, him having many faces and, and, and never knowing himself. Uh, and maybe that, so we talked about it not being a happy ending and and the, and the bad guy winning, but actually there was that quote at the end of the film around, you know, oh God, I'm going to misquote it now, but essentially having to live uh, with your crime is is the worst thing. Um, and having, and I guess for him, it's having to live with the many faces for the rest of your life. So maybe there's a thread that it was kind of weaving throughout,
0: but it was pointless. Mm-hmm. It did not bring anything to the table. Yeah. Um, hard thing about writing the story about, and she doesn't know if the character is good or bad. It, that's a bit on the nose as well. I mean, obviously, we, you know, since we know exactly what. <laughs> you know She's he's writing about him. It is a bit uh, again yeah. not, not much subtlety there about um, that um so yeah maybe maybe you know the writers and the directors great when it comes to action and and men but understand a little less when it comes to uh, relationships and uh, women um i don't know if that's something i wonder if that's Um, also
2: something of of the time so i don't know a film coming out in 2002 and if you think about sort of what hong kong cinema was like at the time and you know, uh, yeah. again, it's, it's the old the old uh, Bachelor test, right? So female characters were just there to support support the male roles, and the only two and maybe female actors in this in the film. So
1: yeah, maybe our expectations now as an audience are we expect you know strong character development for both the male and the female characters, whereas back then you would have got away with it, and no one would have batted an eyelid.
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, there is all mm-hmm. about. I
2: mean, that's something to always think about. I suppose as as we look back on our films, you know, looking back on older films with twenty twenty sensibilities, um, uh, it, it is is interesting to reflect on, definitely. And and in this case, not just uh, a time shift, but a, a geographical shift, a cultural shift. So with, we're probably applying uh, a stronger knowledge of Hollywood cinema, or Western cinema, on on Hong Kong films.
1: Okay.
0: But you mentioned about uh, Andy Lau potentially suffering. Uh, At least that's what the quote at the end uh, implied. Um, I myself am a little bit conflicted uh, with uh, how I should judge Andy Lau's character. Um, You know, on the one hand, I see him as this uh, sort of ruthless opportunist. You know, he's leaking information uh, to the crime boss, Sam, Uh, information which even gets the police chief Wong killed um and then when it suits him to do so he betrays Sam as well he kills Sam cold bloodedly because it suits him
1: Sam uh, Sam is the mafia boss the mafia the boss driver. that's right that's yeah.
0: right so he's essentially uh you know betrayed and and caused the death of both bosses um you know he's he's prepared to delete uh Tony Lung's identity from the computers um and then obviously at the end he cold bloodedly murders the second mole because it suits him uh and his story. So that that sort of I think the sort of ruthless opportunist, the guy who'll do anything, betray anybody to make sure he can sort of come out on top. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other side, I guess, is seeing all of these actions in terms of a man trapped in circumstance. So uh, obviously he has to leak information to Sam, the the, the mafia boss, throughout. Because Sam knows his true identity, anytime he says, oh, "Well, actually, I'm not giving you information," Sam just says, "Well, I'm just going to tell them that you're you're actually a criminal, and you're you know that's it's over for him." Um, yeah. And and then in, if you see it that way, then he's trying to get out of under Sam's thumb. And when when the police chief Wong dies because of information he's leaked, that might sort of be a turning point for the character where he now decides. I, I'm going to take Sam down, and he sort of takes an active role in, in getting Sam down. Um, you know, he at one obviously in one scene he tries to delete Tony Lung's identity, but he also makes two genuine offers to give his identity back. Once in the actual. Yeah, he, didn't, he
1: didn't intend. He, his initial response was to bring him back as a hero. Tony Lung's a hero. Yeah, absolutely. only when Tony Lung was caught him mm. was when he was like, okay, I know I need to get rid of this guy.
0: Yeah, and then and then even then he doesn't show up to the final meeting on the rooftop with a gun, you know, or at least with an intention. He, you know, he seems to come back with a real intention and sort of pleads that you know what I'm trying to turn over a new leaf uh, if we can, you know, let bygones be bygones or whatever. Um, and then yeah, the the sort of oh the sort of um, suffering, which is alluded to. So we mentioned that the Chinese title means the nonstop way, a reference to the lowest hell in Buddhism. Uh, The opening quote, uh, it says um, the worst of the eight hells is called the continuous hell. It has the meaning of continuous suffering, thus the name. Uh, And then the closing quote says, according to the Buddha, he who is in continuous hell never dies. Longevity is a great hardship in continuous hell. Therefore, meaning, I mean, the only character that doesn't die is Andy Lau. So... So it's almost like the film is trying to make a case through these quotes as well that the person that is continuously suffering is is him, somebody who's sort of stuck in the circumstance. So you know, you know, I'd be interested to hear from actually you guys whether you kind of see him more as as the ruthless opportunist uh, who just wants to come out on top at the end, uh, or someone who's really kind of uh, trapped and, and 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 you can sympathize with him. Um, I mean, I
2: didn't see a real, any kind of redemption arc for the character at all. Um, In terms of sympathy, I suppose if you were to think about, you know, here's someone who's been manipulated from childhood to be a criminal, then ended up being a criminal. There's a kind of, there's something around there. Uh, And maybe there are bigger questions, probably bigger than what we're trying to do in our podcast, but around, you know, how how much of your actions are about you and how much of it was about your childhood and things like that. Um, but no, I, I,
1: at the start, at the start, I think, sorry, I, so they do sort of make it seem like it's some sort of child grooming yeah. that he's doing when he's got all the, at the start, um, Sam, the bad guy's got all these kids in a line mm. and he's like, we've all suffered this, that, that." It is some sort of like grooming that he's essentially yeah. doing. There.
2: No, yeah. And I think that's, that's the part where I think I can sort of, you know, I, I feel for the character and you know, I feel for that child, but as, as the adult, um, I, I don't see a redemption, and I, th- I think what solidified it for me was that point at which he killed the other guy who worked for you know the other undercover baddie uh, who worked for Sam, okay. uh, because oh, well. the guy turned to him essentially and said, "Right, I'll follow you now. You're the new boss because Sam's dead," uh, and that oh, would have well. been you know so he now had an opportunity to be Sam. Right, I've I've broken the back of of the guy who sort of killed me, and now I can be the big boss and I can run it and I can figure it out. Um, but he chose the easier way of saving his own story and, and preserving that kind of hollow life that he's built uh, and killing someone for it quite easily. Um, so this isn't about taking down the crime boss. This isn't about... That clearly wasn't about taking down another criminal. That was simply about self-preservation um, and not even preservation of life, but preservation of that lifestyle that he's created. Um, so for me, no, there wasn't really a redemption arc. It was a dark ending. It was a, it was a bad guy winning... Um, but of course, again, if you take it into, if you take it in that Buddhist context, uh, that winning, that continuous suffering, isn't necessarily winning. Um, but I guess from a from a more Western context, uh, you know, he's still got his money and his job and his kudos and the things that they t- we tend to care about a little bit more in the West, and it does feel like he's won.
1: I actually sympathise with him a lot more. I think, um, I kind of feel like <laughs> he. He's very much just the fact that he was started on the wrong track. He spent his whole time trying to get onto the right track. And anything he did was just either to protect himself and stay on that right track. Like, at the end, he could have been the new Sam, but he doesn't want to be Sam. He doesn't want to be a bad guy. He wants to be a good guy. And it's just the fact that he started as a bad guy, as a child, like, growing up on the streets and being groomed by this gang, that he's been, like, constantly trying to cut these ties throughout. He doesn't actively actually try to kill um, the cop boss that kind of happens like sort of out of his control um, and also he didn't bring he didn't want to kill Tony Lung either his his mate that he didn't even know about came and shot Tony Lung so I don't feel like he didn't make obviously he's you know criminally viable but he didn't make like active decisions for these murders to take place the only murder he actually did is he shot the bad guy I and mean, he t- shot, he killed two bad guys really at the end of the day yeah
0: yeah um i i i just think it's great that that you can have different perspectives on something like this and 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 i think that's the strength of the film um and not a weakness um for sure for mm-hmm. sure yeah um okay i think we're coming up to the end uh so let's um rate this film i think one thing we might do as, as we, we go along is, is we can compare films to other films, uh, but at this point it's the only film, mm-hmm. so... Um,
1: top of the leaderboard. Yeah. Top... <laughs> yeah. Also
2: bottom of the leaderboard, I guess.
0: <laughs> oh yeah,
1: it's the psychiatrist that really brought it down.
0: <laughs> but um, I mean, safe to say, uh, definitely a, a big thumbs up from me, and uh, how about you guys?
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely the same. I mean, mm. Tobro, you're the one who introduced me to this film. I mean, t- you're the one who introduced me to Hong Kong cinema, actually, uh, so many years ago. Um, and this is one of the ones, big ones, I, I always want to come back to. Uh, it, I'm always a little bit shocked at even realising how, I guess, recently, I mean, 2002 isn't, isn't recent for anyone who's not as old as me. But, um, <laughs> uh, you know, it, it, it feels like such a classic story. It feels like such a kind of... Um, solid part of of the language of 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 cinematic history for me I think um you know it, it feels like a very big thing that that stays with me a huge huge thumbs up for me and I guess a huge thank you uh, to you Tobro for introducing me to it uh, and to you Rai for uh recommending that we re-watch it
1: yeah yeah no I really loved it and it's actually funny because I watched it when I was what eleven <laughs> last um, so the less said about that the better. I didn't I know. Yeah, I know. On DVD, it does show that's a fifteen, actually. Um, But I kind of think it's interesting because, like, I don't know what I remember. From what I remember, is actually stuff that I understood at the time, or stuff that you guys explained to me, or what's a memory and what's just sort of like made up in my head. But I've it was really nice coming back and watching this story. It felt like it felt like a first watch for me actually watching it, even though I've seen it before, and I just really loved it.
0: Yeah. So three thumbs up. Um, another thing I guess we wanted we wanted to do is think about what you know as we go through different uh, films and trilogies, think about what we take from each. Um, so I, I, for me, it's it's the it's the issue I brought up at the end. I think that there are different perspectives, um, and and there is an opportunity to see the bad guy's perspective, um, which is which I think films don't do enough. Um, you know, I think a good example in recent cinema is is Black Panther. Uh, where again you can you can see the ba- where the mm. bad guy's coming from even if you don't fully agree and I think yeah for this film I think I think I would I would take that uh, on with me.
2: Um, so I think mine's a little bit simpler. it's that I really like uh, spy films. I like a bit of espionage and a bit of infiltration and stuff like that it kind of reminded me of my love for that. Uh, the issue I often have with spy films is they're either sort of overly contrived and overly complicated. Uh, or far too simple, or they have twists that don't matter, sort of meaningless. Um, and this is an example of exactly how to do it right. That it can be done right. That it can be done efficiently. That it can be well told. Um, and uh, it just makes me want to now go in and watch a hell of a lot, hell of a lot more spy films.
1: I would say my takeaway is more around the point of efficient storytelling. I mean. This is a this film runs for like 100 minutes and we've discussed things that they could cut. I feel like they could get it down to 80 and I think it'd be a strong film. I mean, we don't need like nowadays, like Tarantino is releasing these like three hour, four hour epics. Like you don't need all that. You don't need all that dressing. I just feel like get an effective story and punch it through. And this film, I think, exhibits that pretty well.
2: Right. You know, I, I that's I, I like that. So I think about that with novels a lot where, you know, b- books are written to be roughly sort of, you know, 300 pages, 400 pages or whatever, so many words uh, and it's not necessary. It's just that the writers feel the need to pad it out to sell but cinema doesn't normally have that language and especially I think now that we're moving to the world of streaming so much more where TV episodes can be any given length or whatever um, we should move away from, from this overly padding long films. I, I, I I really like that actually, uh, Ray. Reminds me yeah, of that, the old Alf, Alfred Hitchcock quote, right? The the length of a film should be directly related to the to the endurance of the human bladder, but films have gotten longer, but <laughs> <Yes. our> bladders <laughs> have not gotten bigger.
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I, I th- Yeah, go ahead, Ray.
1: Yeah, I was actually going to say like this is something that I feel is happening in music as well. So like. I think a lot of albums these days are just way 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 too long but I'm really enjoying that now that people are just relying on streams and people aren't people aren't going to be like oh I'm not going to buy this cd it's only got six songs Mm. so now albums are starting to get shorter so you're getting these like new albums that are popping up that are like 40 minutes 30 minutes and then it actually means that musicians can release albums more often and I actually really prefer it yeah um I think those are all good points,
0: and I was going to say, uh, uh, speaking of full bladders, I think, uh, <laughs> you know, we <laughs> What a way to end the show, I love it. Yeah. <laughs> Jeez, well, know the tone um, on the first show. Yeah. So if if you if you've made it to the end of the show, well, I mean, you know, if you're listening on your phone, you can take us with you, obviously. Oh um, god! But, um, <laughs> if you're listening, uh, t- uh, you've made it r- right through to the end. Uh, you know, you know, thanks for that, and um, you know, please rate, subscribe, tell a friend, uh, or you know, tweet at us uh, at Brothers Trilogy. Um, next time we'll be discussing Infernal Affairs two and three, um, so and completing the trilogy in the next episode. Um, I should say all three of these films, if you're in the UK, are available on Netflix UK, or I should say at the time of recording, because you never know with Netflix when it'll suddenly disappear. Um, um, And if you're only listening at this point because of this conversation, because, you know, our conversation has put you to sleep, and we've got good news for you too, uh, because we've decided not to have a loud outro music, uh, Mm -hmm. so you can, you know, drift gently away, um, uh, and so... You know, unless Rai changes his mind and and puts puts in some <laughs> kind of uh, a Motorhead or Metallica at the end, um, can't afford it. <laughs> we'll wait for the sponsorship. Uh, yeah. Right. On that note, I'm off to the loo and then off to the bed. Uh, so it's good night for me and good night for my co-hosts. Good night. All. All right, good night, safe. brothers.